Hello, and welcome to Ground Control Parenting, a blog and now a podcast created for parents raising black and brown children. I'm the creator and your host, Carol Sutton Lewis. In this podcast, I talk with some really interesting people about the job and the joy of parenting. Today, I am so happy to welcome Franklin Sermons, Executive Director of the Perez Art Museum in Miami, also known as PAM, to talk with us about arts education. Franklin is an American art critic, editor, writer, curator, and has been the director of Perez Art Museum in Miami since October 2015. I am so glad to have my friend and art expert, Franklin, to help us figure out how to best make sure we keep the spark of imagination alive in our children, especially during this pandemic. Welcome to Ground Control Parenting, Franklin. (laughs) Thank you, Carol. It is such a pleasure and honor to be here with you today. And to be in conversation with you always. Oh, same here, same here. So Franklin, school is back in session after the holiday. As you know, you have a daughter, she's back in school. And for a lot of parents, that just means your children are back on the same devices they were using to have fun over the holidays, but to do their schoolwork. So (laughs) by now, many of you must be a little concerned about all the screen time and more importantly, spending all the time on the screen without breaks without breaks to be able to dream and to be creative and to free your mind from what's appearing on the screens. This is where arts education comes in. And this is why I'm so glad, Franklin, that you're with us today. So let's get started. And let me just ask you this. I know that the Perez Art Museum has a real focus on arts education. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of where where that comes from and how that's evidenced at the museum? Sure. Um, well, first off, uh, wow. Yeah, I am. I am trying to adjust to that bridge between the same device being used for entertainment and social purposes as it is for learning. So we tried to create some kind of construct between those two, right? So predominantly the desktop is where most of her work is being done. Um, my daughter, Stella, that is. And as a 10-year-old, um, the iPad has become a device of, of such social life that it's, yes, it's frankly frightening. Mm-hmm. But here we are. <laughs> um, and trying to cope and adapt in, in, in every every single way possible. And of course, there are many ways. So one of them, I think, is is the you know the outlet of 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 art and what that opens up in so many ways mm-hmm. um, at Pam it has been an absolutely integral part of everything that we do when we talk about education um, I think what we're really talking about is programming you know in the same way that we talk about curatorial what we're really talking about is content and programming and and In many ways, they're one and the same, and in many ways, they're different. The beautiful thing about education and its relationship to childhood at the Perez is that, you know, it it begins almost shortly after one comes uh, onto the planet. And and basically, you know, we we have a kind of mommy and me or baby and me program uh, that is there for uh, kids and their moms to come in, you know, and I think we're, we probably see kids at six months, if not a little bit sooner. And I love that program. Um, my daughter, 
took part in one of those programs. I'm going to interrupt one quick second to say that on your site, it says it's babies from zero to 13 months are welcome, which is great. But but really, the parents out there with little tiny infants, I'm sure they're wondering, what do you do with a baby who is zero or two months or three months? Yeah, it's the best because it's really it's really that first kind of fresh experience. Like what is color is it can be as simple as that. Mm. Just allowing uh, allowing your child to to see and experience differences in color, which then give them, you know, a sense of of of, of chromatics in general. But then it also leads into um, questions around form. Um, contour, line, how we actually define an object in our field of vision. All of these wonderful things can happen via the arts at, at, at this immediate stage. And, and what better way, right? In real life and in real time, um, not on a screen. Right, right. No, absolutely. And, you know, I, I just, I happened to do a little research when I was um, planning to talk to you. And there's so much, there's so much evidence that Baby's brain development is really helped by art. Art increases activity in the parts of the brain that are responsible for the higher order thinking and motor skills. So to your point, what may seem a simple showing a baby colors and forms is actually helping the synapses fire and helping those cells generate to help them be better thinkers, which is really incredible that we can do that for our kids when they're so little. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And so then moving on to the slightly older kids, and now I'm going to reference something that I read that you said um, about when you were young, that mm-hmm. your earliest memory of being impacted by art was being able to be lost in a painting. Can you kind of talk a little bit about what it what that does for you and what that means to get lost? Yeah, I think the, I think the, you know, we're all at a certain point, like you said, the synapses start firing. And from that very point, we're putting things into our brain. We're, we're, we're filling it up with an archive of, of images, of ideas. And, and thankfully, because the human brain is so incredibly amazing, we keep going and we keep finding more room to breathe more uh, information into. Um, and sometimes I think that it can be healthy to to get away from that, to, to not accumulate, but to simply just be. And I guess, you know, it's, it, it can be seen as meditative. It could be seen as part of a tradition of, of yoga in some ways. But for me personally, yeah, I, I remember very clearly having an experience in front of a painting. And one of them, one of those early experiences was at the Met with, um, with Monet. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it's it almost sounds cliche, but their depictions of water, their depictions of water lilies and flowers, but that's not really what it is, right? It's just blue paint for the most part with some dabs here and there that give you a sense of, of something else or something that you've seen before. Um, I, I found that to be kind of clear, a sort of clearing for the mind in a way. Like it's mm-hmm. not about how you got there. It's not the logistics of the subway that brought you there. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just peaceful and a way of getting away. And I think that obviously now that is more than ever, one of the attributes of, of simple art looking 
um, that we do think about. And we probably think about it a lot more and we might need it a lot more, especially those of us who watch the news, um, <laughs> you know, like we yeah. need spaces to clear our minds and get away. Right. And I think art can be a really great tool um, in that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you definitely need something now to clear your mind from what we have to look at in terms of the news. You know, just a quick aside, I had a similar moment when I was young in front of a Marc Chagall piece, and I cannot remember the name of it, but in typical Marc Chagall style, there was activity all over the canvas. It was a depiction of a, a Russian village, I believe, and everything was happening at once. There was a wedding, and there were farms, and there were people. And I can remember so clearly really being absorbed into this painting, marveling at the fact that this person had, this artist had managed to, with paint on a canvas, pull me into this world. Yeah. And, and, and I also marveled at the fact that here I was a young black kid in New York City, and I was able to really feel something from this Russian famous artist. And he <laughs> depicting a scene that I knew nothing about. I, mean, yeah. I didn't see myself in the work, literally, but I remember feeling um, taken away. And and that that actually began my sort of passion for being able to, to feel that way just by, um, for free, as it were, in a museum, mm -hmm. or practically free. Absolutely. <laughs> practically free. But um, the other thing about that elementary middle school age is that you're often, that, that's a time when you can make art as well. And I remember you've also said about your memories of making collages out of magazines. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that strikes me as a, another good way for children to sort of experience the art by making it. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that we all know um, that children make some of the most incredible um, artworks there are. And mm -hmm. Not for nothing, but uh, it is interesting that, you know, artists like Picasso or like Basquiat, just to think of two in particular, often referred to wanting always to get back to a more uh, childlike um, hand, mm -hmm. right? The idea that they could actually create with a sort of unfettered, unadulterated um, kind of rush of, of, of creativity and imagination. Mm -hmm. And that is something that is clearly tied to the most earliest stages of our life. Um, and, and so I think that there's, there's something to be said for that. I know we live, we tend to live with like probably almost uh, 10 different works of art that our child created uh, mm -hmm. somewhere around the age of four to seven. Mm -hmm. um, and they're wonderful and they're absolutely wonderful. And one of them like is, and it goes from abstraction images, abstract images to representational images. And, and it just, I don't know, it still continues to, to open my um, eyes to the world around me, um, that hand. And I don't think she could do them now if mm -hmm. she tried, mm -hmm. because that's just the point, right? You're not yeah. lying. Yeah. Yeah. So, so parents, as a little tip for you, you may be tempted to uh, place into the trash can all those works of art that your young children are giving you, but save a few because to Franklin's point, you can't get that back. I mean, the, the purity of that 
freedom of 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 expression um, is tr- to be treasured. And and you may just see as the child gets older some hints of how they become in the earlier artworks. I, I know we've kept a few and it's pretty amazing to see what they were doing back then and how it relates to, to how they are now. Now, that doesn't mean if they produce something five times a day, every day that, <laughs> that you fill a room, but <laughs> no, you can curate it, right? <laughs> you curate it and you get it and uh, hopefully they will curate it with you. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so moving on to high schoolers in art, um, my thoughts turn to art as social protest, particularly for kids of color, because even if you have a high schooler who really hasn't shown much interest at all in art or the art world, if they have any interest in social justice, which a lot of teenagers do now, they may find a really interesting and compelling connection in a lot of the art that has been done by African-American artists and others as a form of social protest. Can can you talk about a few artists that um, have really been focused on that and and use their art in that way? Well, it's so amazing to think of the current moment um, in relationship to how uh, kids or or young adults of a certain age around adolescence have the good fortune to be exposed to so much work like that. I mean, I can think of Shepard Fairey, for one, whose iconic images of Obama were such a pervasive image around the world, mm-hmm. um, particularly in this country, but around the world. And how that forms a, a sort of vision of the future of what art can do, not just be, but what it can do, right? Because when you think about the multiplicity of that image and the way that it has trafficked through so many different minds, it becomes quite powerful. And that mm-hmm. began with just a simple sketch drawing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I also think about this summer, I will never forget. And I know it's not me. It's not my adult eyes because I have spoken to teenagers who have um, referenced the work. But the work of Hank Willis Thomas, uh, mm-hmm. something as simple as a pick, right? A hair pick that has been monumentalized to 20 to 30 feet high and has that that characteristic 1970s fist that I remember so well. I had that pick. I had that pick as a child. But deployed this pick in different public spaces. And one of them was here in Miami on Biscayne Boulevard, right in front of the Art Center for the Performing Arts. And that, I have to say, was just maybe half a mile up the street from where the protests in the wake of George Floyd were happening here in Miami. Mm-hmm. To drive by that or to walk by that and to see the connections um, in a very subtle and seductive way mm-hmm. uh, is, is, is just an amazingly powerful uh, experience. Um, I would say for myself, and maybe, in, you know, in my mid years of, of high school, I came to, the work of Jean-Michel Basquiat. And mm-hmm. that forever changed my, the way that I thought about art. And in part because of exactly what you just said, because there was this element of it that was about justice, that was about contemporaneity, that was like the perfect corollary to say the music I was listening to, which that moment probably would have been public enemy. Mm-hmm. Or, Down Productions, who were talking about the same forms 
of liberation that were a part of Basquiat's paintings. Mm-hmm. Um, so art is, I mean, it's, 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 it's breath is so large as to how we can form our own thoughts and, and think critically about how we see the arts in our life and see the arts as having a presence, not only a presence, but a power mm-hmm. and an ability to do something uh, in our lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Following up on, on Basquiat, um, I had the occasion, uh, the display of the Michael Stewart paintings, the death of Michael Stewart. Yes. And, and that actually came to mind when I was thinking about asking you this question, because it'd be really interesting for teenagers now to see this exhibit and to learn about Michael Stewart, who in 1993 was beaten and ultimately killed by the police. He was a graffiti artist and the police caught him graffitiing in trains. And um, that was a big art expression back in the 70s, as you well remember, yes. <laughs> recovered with graffiti. And um, but the cops caught him and they beat him senseless and he ultimately died. Yes. The, the importance, I mean, Basquiat's work is very powerful generally, and it's very powerful in this exhibit. So for parents who um, who can, I, I, I would encourage you to sort of go online, try to find some of these images because they're really, they're really powerful. And, and Basquiat himself is a powerful story. We should say that Franklin, you are one of the world's experts on Basquiat. And so oh, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. But no, <laughs> and that Michael Stewart, I mean, I, I was, I, I think I had just started ninth grade uh, when that happened mm. uh, in 83. And um, yeah, I, uh, did not come to the works that were created around that until much later. Mm-hmm. Um, but gosh, it's, it's amazing how things continue. continue. It is. It is. And it's important for our children to understand that for artists, um, for some artists, the ability to make art is the way that they can respond to things in popular culture. I mean, to, to events, to, to circumstances, some artists are compelled like Basquiat apparently was by this event to Mm -hmm. make art. So, so rather than just viewing them as sort of um, static depictions on the wall of something, it's, it's, it's interesting to look at them as like people's efforts to tell a story that might not have been told uh, at the time, any other way. Yes, and that fits so much into that 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 bridge, if you will, because you mentioned graffiti, and I think graffiti is the you know it's almost like an extension of that creativity that we were talking about at a very early stage. Mm-hmm. Graffiti, in many instances, represents the the desire to speak publicly mm-hmm. and to do so in a in a format that many people will see. And of course, Michael Stewart comes out of that. But I'm also thinking of the current moment. And I have to mention, because in my mind, here, an artist by the name of Shire Regans, who this summer has created a um, a memorial or homage to, to Black bodies who were killed by gun violence. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this is literally a project that she did at a place called Bakehouse Art Complex. And it fills the entire wall, top to bottom, all the way across about 100 feet of wow. names uh, painted into the wall. Um, a, a, you know, a tragic project, but one that does so much. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'll have to, I'll have to find that image and uh, figure out a way to, to put it up on my blog. I, I would love, love to see that. So 
this talk about African-American artists leads me to a more general question. And, and full disclosure, I'm a huge fan of African-American art. And, and I firmly believe that parents, uh, particularly parents of children of color, owe it to their children to expose them to art created by um, African-Americans. What would you say to parents who aren't that familiar with the world of, of African-American art? Can you give me a handful of artists that they would really, they really should need, they should investigate and maybe investigate with their children? When we think about our, our artists today, um, we're in a very, uh, I, I guess, a fortunate moment. Um, there are so many good black artists who are making uh, incredible work right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no matter where you are, there there's someone or something to look at. I just came out of an installation by Theaster Gates, mm. truly one of the most important, if not in my mind, the most important artist of the last decade. Mm. Um, and somebody who works in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Talk about um, pottery and clay and this idea of tactility, which is such an important part of the early childhood experience for art and art making is the mm-hmm. tactical quality is um, he's, he's, he's amazing. He's a Chicago uh, based born and based artist. Um, and Terry James Marshall, mm-hmm. um, who does something totally different as a painter, uh, but somebody who has been concerned with figuration and representation, particularly of black people, for years, just an incredible um, voice and 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 uh, person and artist. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many. Julie Meritu, who has a big traveling exhibition going on right now, whose work is often and has been often inspired by maps and cartography um, and cities, and she makes these paintings, large paintings, that that take those things as frameworks but then deals with them in a way that is completely unique and innovative in her uh, usage of, of abstraction uh, as a form and also of, of representational imagery within that. Um, gosh, mm-hmm. yeah, I could go on and on. I'm also just coming out of a show where I saw Kara Walker um, mm-hmm. work. And God, if you just want to give another voice on American history and Mm -hmm. relationship to slavery and not only to slavery, but to the entire black experience in America, then you must look at the work of Kara Walker. Mm -hmm. It will certainly Mm -hmm. give you a view that is different from most textbooks, um, but one that will inform us and allow us to think critically about history um, in ways that we might not have ever imagined. Mm. Those are great, great suggestions. Um, I would throw in a couple of old masters, and and again, yeah. unfair to choose because it's. I mean, you're oh, right. No. We're, we're in a a wonderful time when African American art is is um, coming out from behind the shadows, is being acknowledged by by more people about how great it is. I'm just thinking of Jacob Lawrence and Romare oh. Beard, though, two two artists who, in so much of their work. Um, uh, were able to both demonstrate an amazing craft yeah. and 
speak to circumstances that were going on in their lifetimes. I mean, the Great Migration Series, Jacob Lawrence, I mean, there are both he and Romare Bearden and were um, were recognized even at the time, but even more so now as people who were combining their their passion for art with their passion for social justice. And, yeah. you know, it's funny. I, I'm hoping that everyone listening is taking note of all these artists. And, and you mentioned the Aster and yeah. I, I agree. He's amazing. And one of the wonderful things about parents exposing your children to uh, artists like the Aster is that unlike some of the other artists who paint on canvas and it's sort of an easy entry into, yeah. even if you, you like, or don't like the image, you kind of understand sort of, you can figure out what's going on. I mean, Theaster's work requires sort of an understanding of the history in some instances, which is great for you and your children to explore. He has a series of works with brick. Yes. And the story is that his father's a brick later and he determined, he discovered that the process of making bricks was a process that was um, becoming obsolete. And so he determined he figured out how to make bricks he created a factory to make bricks he hired black people to learn how to make bricks right. and then made bricks which are can also be used for brick building but he also made art out of the bricks and so when you see this sculpture of bricks while you might be tempted to say oh that is a a pile of bricks understanding the history and what went into the creation of this is at another level which yeah. Which which turns me to the concept of why parents should expose their children to this. You know, Franklin, we talk. I talk a lot about have, raising confident kids, which is sure. so challenging when there's so much in the world that can sap them of their confidence. But one of the things that I think is the antidote to that is knowing your history and and yeah. being and being able to see yourself in ways that make you proud. Absolutely. And and for me, the African-American art experience is a way, I mean, if you have art on your walls with glorious people that look like you yep. <laughs> or that depict things that, that start a conversation in your family, yeah, that is a, a way. It doesn't have to be a, an original work of art. It can be a poster. It can be anything. But I, I do think that children really benefit from seeing themselves in, in majesty, which, which makes Ooh. me think of Kahende Wiley. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> Yes. I mean, Good. the power of the visual, as you, you suggest, is just immense. Um, and you mentioned Jacob Lawrence. I can't help but my, my sister, who's a child psychologist in, in D.C., um, called yesterday asking me about Jacob Lawrence. And, she, of course, she's in D.C. where the Phillips Collection houses part of his greatest series, the Migration mm -hmm. Series. And it's another lesson in history, um, mm -hmm. a visual message that places you directly inside of that history. Um, it's just, yeah, it cannot be overstated. Um, yeah. Gosh, and I think about it all the time with my 10-year-old. Yeah, no, it, it is... It it is um it is an aspect of parenting that is easily overlooked. I mean, you have so many things to worry about with respect to your child and what they're doing and what they're focused on. And if you yeah. yourself are not a particular art enthusiast, it might not even occur to you. But I really do. I want to encourage parents to just think about um, delving a little into the world of art, and they can do it with their children. They can explore together because it is a really simple way to start conversations to to yeah. give children shot in the arm of confidence in that. Um, and, and again, I just go back to Kehende Wiley, who is another contemporary uh -huh. artist, and he has made portraits, really elaborately and beautifully painted portraits of Black people and placed them into um, beautiful settings and in, in 
uh, the style of old, these beautiful portraits, which look in their framing and in their background as if they were from many, many years ago. And, and the majesty of these paintings with, with the person inside looking like you or me, or it's just, it's a great a great statement on how children particularly can look at art differently. Like you two can be in that picture, just like that little girl looking with awe at Michelle Obama's portrait. You two can be on the wall in the museum. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What an incredible artist. But I'm, I'm going to shift gears just a little to, to go to an, uh, a topic that I often talk to my guests about, and that is their own childhood and parenting. I often say that you parent the child that you you have, not the one you were or the one that you wished for. And so I often ask guests to talk a little about the way they were parented. And in particular, I'd love to hear about your story of, of how your parents supported your, your move into the art world. But first, let's take a step back. You are a native New Yorker. Yes. Born in Queens. Yes. <laughs> Raised in Harlem. Yes. <laughs> and um, in, you were not the first in your family to go to college. Uh, no, mm-mm. no. My father was a doctor and had gone to Lincoln University and to Meharry. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother went to Teachers College. Uh, so, yeah, they were definitely about um, academics and scholarship. And although both of them were in health-related fields, they allowed for that kind of creativity that you're talking about as being such a part of childhood or whether or not they, you know, uh, had a passion for it at that time. Mm -hmm. It was always something that um, was part of my exposure growing up. That's great. That's great. And so take me back to when you were, um, you were out of college, you were in a a good job (laughs) working in a financial services company. And, and you say to your parents, this art thing, I think I want to pursue that. <laughs> yeah, not so easy. Well, I but I did have well, one other like kind of caveat in there is that so when I was in high school, my my stepmother um, would have me do reviews of of music. She's an entertainment lawyer, and so she would give me you know three or four, three to five minute clip of some new music, and I would write a quick little review of it. So that was kind of oh. the first real gig and mm-hmm. sure I got something for it, you know. And um and then after school it was it was more like uh wow here we go real world and <laughs> how, how do we get out of the home and find our <laughs> way. And the quickest way to do that for me was to uh take a job in financial services um with my little undergraduate BA from Wesleyan University. And I worked at Shearson Lehman American Express for about 10 months. <laughs> so I got really lucky. I had done my thesis in college on Jean-Michel Basquiat. And our dear friend, Thelma Golden, knew that because we were already um, close friends. And she told the curator of the first Basquiat retrospective, Richard Marshall, that I was working on this thesis. And the next thing I know, I was quitting my relatively lucrative for a 22-year-old financial services job and going into the Whitney Museum of American Art. That was a pretty interesting moment. It was. And 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 so your 
doctor father and your teacher mom were what? <laughs> supportive? Actually, I know um, they, were, they were supportive. You know, supportive with the kind of like cautious, okay, there's still time for you to go and get a real job or a real <laughs> degree. You know, there was always that little caveat. And I, and I believe that too. I mm-hmm. felt like when I first got out of school, why not take some chances? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, you know, grateful for, for being in that position, being put in that position where I could think that way. Mm-hmm. And so I did take uh, some time and got to travel a little bit. And um, yeah, they were supportive, but they were concerned. <laughs> Good. I, I wanted you to mention that just because I, I know um, it, there's a temptation to, you know, particularly after you get through school, to, your child gets through school to sort of forget all that you told them about, you know, seeing the world and finding their way and, sure. and instead making sure they get some lucrative job that <laughs> that yeah. gets them financially set. But but it really is important to give you your space. And look, look, now you run a museum. It, it all worked out. <laughs> in the end, yeah. There were some rocky years, but in the end, yeah. <laughs> How has this impacted the way that you think about your daughter? I mean, would she's... 10. Absolutely. It's absolutely, uh, it's the same. It's essential. Um, We went to the Venice Biennial with Stella when she was probably, gosh, I think she might have been, she she couldn't even walk yet. She was in the the carriage. You know, you got to have some faith, I guess. And I I think that's part of it. So that is to Mm -hmm. say that we have, my wife and I, Jessica, have taken on that kind of approach as well. And, I, and, and my wife was also around art growing up and has a mother who is a storyteller and a musician. So there was a, a trust mm-hmm. in the general thrust of what the arts and what culture can do as far as critical thinking. It's going to help you travel in the world and it's going to help you navigate the world. So that's how we try to approach it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So it'll be very interesting to see if Stella at 22 decides that she's going to be an accountant or something. (laughs) 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 No, but if even whatever she does, she'll have amazing an amazing eye and great art on the wall. So exactly. Exactly. Well, before we wrap up, one final thing I just want to ask you about. Now I'm asking you to put on your director of an art museum hat. And that is, let's fast forward to when uh, the pandemic clears. And I I know that now you can have visitors at at, at the Perez, but for many of us, there's very limited um, visitation. And some of us are a little more concerned about venturing out, depending on how the numbers are. But let's assume a time will soon come when it will be easier to visit museums. Can you talk a little bit about... um, how is, is there a way for parents to visit um, museums with their children? Meaning, um, it, it, is there a way to talk with your children about what you see on the wall? I know some parents attempted to tell them what to see or what to look for, but is is there a way that parents should go through museums with their children? I think just with open eyes and open ears and, uh, and an open heart, most of mm-hmm. most importantly, mm-hmm. is that things are uh, open for interpretation. And to allow for uh, your child to speak and and see freely. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's that's part of 
the experience, even as we grow older, um, we sometimes try to give too much information. And I think there's something to be said for just going with one's own intuition. You can always bring in more information later. You can always buy a catalog of an exhibition after, and I highly recommend that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. maybe just the first time to try and see things afresh and mm-hmm. see things anew and, and see them through your child's eyes. It's, there's, it's a priceless experience when you get to see art through uh, your child's eyes. So uh, so I encourage everyone, if you're in the Miami area, to visit the Perez. It's a beautiful museum led by an amazing director. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who I'm so happy to have here with us today. So before I wrap up, Franklin, uh, there's one more thing I'm going to ask you to do after I say thank you, because as usual, it has been so great to talk to you. And um, I, I really feel like this conversation has been really helpful for parents everywhere. No, but before you. we go, I want you to do the GCP bonus round. Two questions. Uh-huh. The first is, tell me your favorite or a favorite poem. I guess I grew up with like Langston Hughes was on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um and it's, you know, again, it's it's kind of like it, it almost feels cliche, but oh, what was it? Life is a life is a broken wing bird. Like, oh, hold dream. fast to dreams. dreams. Yeah, hold fast to dreams. That mm-hmm. would be it. Hold fast yeah. to dreams because if, Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, children's books, either your two of them, your favorites when you were growing up, or ones that you read to Stella when she was young. So for me growing up, I guess it would have been Harold and the Purple Crayon. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, I, I, have, I loved it, and I still do. And I loved Snowy Day, Ezra Jack Keats. And I've shared both of them with her. Um, mm-hmm. I think two books that we've enjoyed reading together, um, one would include the Basquiat, Life Doesn't Frighten Me, with words oh, by Maya Angelou. Yes, Maya Angelou, great. Yeah, that was, That's a really, really great one. And mm-hmm. don't miss Faith Ringgold, Tar Beach. Ah. That's great. And I love that those two books are are featuring art and artists. Those are great recommendations, Franklin. And so with that, I thank you so much for being with me. Oh, but Carol, but we I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, since we are so all is so ensconced in our virtual lives, um, we can join from anywhere on Pam.org. And ah. all, all of our digital museum is there. And mm-hmm. on February 6th, if, if any of your listeners are free, we will have our eighth annual celebration of the Fund for African-American Art, which is called Art and Soul. Ah. And so so much is happening online right now that I don't think we'll ever all let it go. It will we'll bring ourselves back into a world where the virtual is a complement to the physical or the physical is a complement to the virtual, depending upon how you see it. Oh, that I'm so glad you mentioned that, Franklin, because that was one other thing I did want to say. Digitally is a good way to start. You can have access to museums all over, and museums have really built up their digital presence so mightily now, and it's a great opportunity. Their education programs, they do virtual tours of their museum online, and, mm-hmm. and, and it's actually it's a lot of fun, and you don't have to leave your house. <laughs> so exactly. so I highly recommend that. <laughs> But we are open. For those of you who are here in Miami, we are open four days a week from Thursdays through Sunday. And of course, since we are here in this weather, 
We have a sculpture garden outside. If you don't feel like coming in the building at the moment, you ha- you can experience art that way. And of course, a beautiful view of the bay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Franklin. I no, really thank you. <laughs> love being with you and love what you're doing. So oh, great. Thanks thank so you. much. Thank you for having me. I love talking to Franklin today about our education and the importance of bringing art into our children's lives. I hope you enjoyed it as well and that you'll think about ways to be in and around art with your children. Thank you so much for being with us today. If you've liked what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review where you find your podcast and tell your friends. In the meantime, please check out the Ground Control Parenting blog at www.groundcontrolparenting.com for tons of parenting info and advice. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Ground Control Parenting and on LinkedIn under Carol Sutton Lewis. Please send comments and questions on any of these platforms because we really want to hear from you. Until the next time, take care and thanks for listening.